all about education today. Let's start with math. Roughly 10,000 students, 50 kids on a bus. You see where I'm going here. How do you exercise social distancing on a school bus? From the Oklahoma, I'm Dave Morris. It's Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. The good weather continues and the lower numbers associated with the coronavirus do as well. Oklahoma's number of positive COVID-19 cases now stands at 5,489 after 91 new cases were reported by the Oklahoma State Department of Health. They also reported six additional deaths on Tuesday. Those occurred between May 4th and May 17th. So we continue now our series taking a look at the local angle of rebuilding America. The Oklahoman is part of the USA Today Network and will have a Rebuilding America special section later this month, May 30th and the 31st, with online versions a couple days earlier. Yesterday, we heard from Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt about what the city has gone through, what we might expect this summer, and what he's optimistic about. Today, we talked the ABCs with Oklahoma City Schools Superintendent Sean McDaniel. It's a conversation that ranges from what the upcoming school year might look like to technology and the transportation issues. We also gauge just how many Zoom calls he's on per day. Take a listen. Chatting now with Oklahoma City Public Schools Superintendent Sean McDaniel. Uh, sir, it's been a few weeks since we've chatted. You doing okay? It has been a while. I, I'm doing uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, still adjusting, trying to get used to what has become the life of Zoom, but I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. I just... Uh, did a Zoom interview with Mayor Holtz uh, about an hour ago, and I asked him, how many Zoom meetings are you in a day? He said about a half dozen. How does that compare to your day? Uh, I would say that's probably right on the number. Uh, it fluctuates. Today, for example, you are number four, and it's one o'clock. So, you know, but tomorrow I, it looks pretty light on the calendar. So it's, I think a half dozen is a good number. Speaking of calendars, you look ahead to tomorrow and you're like, hey, it doesn't look too bad. And then you get to tomorrow and it just adds up. And Zoom is something that perhaps a lot of us hadn't even really thought much about a few months ago. It's an example of the change. Uh, sir, what, what sort of changes have you seen in your world over the past few months and with the school district? You know, just some quick examples. I have a senior staff, and we typically meet for several hours every Tuesday morning. During the pandemic, we started the first four weeks, we met every single day. We've, we've kind of flattened that out to two or three times a week now. So I think there's much more communication, uh, which seems kind of counterintuitive. We're not together, and so you would think, we're not communicating maybe quite as much, and it's totally the opposite, whether that's with Chamber or the foundation folks or our staff folks. It is constant communication. I think that's maybe the biggest difference. But what are some of your thoughts on how things are changing? Uh, some of it, I assume we, we discover, hey, here's efficiencies and things are going better, but things are different. Things are a lot different. Um, uh, where do I begin? I think one of the things that, that became very glaring very quickly when we started our continuous learning program, our, our distance learning, if you will, we knew that we had a lot of kids who did not have connectivity, and we've always worried about that and worked toward resolution. 
Second thing that is really side by side to that is the number of kids who do not have devices. So when you combine 10, 11, 12,000 kids who do not have connectivity at home, can't get on the internet, with many of those same kids who do not have a device, we run into a, a problem very quickly with regard to distance learning. And so that was one of the ahas. We knew it was there, but not to the, the level. So we've been spending a lot of time problem solving connectivity and devices so that as we move forward, we can't, we can't use that as an excuse not to serve our students. And we have used it as an excuse here and there. It's created inequities. It's created situations where, uh, you know, if you have connectivity and you have a device, you might be able to, to succeed at a certain level. So we've got to problem solve that and overcome that, that challenge. That was the great aha for us early on. How do you think this may have changed public schools and education, whether that's across the nation or world or even locally, moving forward, just this aha moment? Well, you know, just some, some things that I think are maybe obvious to, to many. We, we need to do a really, really good job of evaluating where our kids are. We do that by nature in education. We assess kids um, through a battery of tests and we identify where they are, where are the learning gaps, where are they strong. We provide programming and personnel to fill in gaps or enrichment for those kids who need a little bit more. As we've gone through this pandemic, I think that was a learning for all of us, uh, identifying where the gaps are and how we need to better fill gaps. So I think that as we move forward, it is going to be critical to do a much better job of evaluating where our kids are. So let, let's take pandemic, seven weeks, no face-to-face -face instruction with our teachers. Heading into a 10-week summer where we're not gonna be engaging with teachers and kids. So we now have this enormous span of time. When we get our kids back, we have got to be able to identify and evaluate where they are. What was the learning loss? How do we fill gaps at a higher level? Um, how do we think differently in our schools regarding what an education looks like? And so I can tell you that we, along with districts all over the country, are creating blueprints for, for these things right now, trying to come up with responses to these questions. What did you hear from, from parents in the district? because uh, there's a lot of people who suddenly had to work from home and do virtual right. learning from home, help out the, the kiddos with learning. That's an awful lot of pressure and stress on them. Your point about, you know, what's the education level? I guess you have to kind of consider, hey, what was that instruction like over the past few months as you look forward? What, what was some of the feedback you heard from the parents? It has been mixed uh, early on. You know, we didn't hear just a, a tremendous amount from parents regarding what was happening at home with instruction. We heard, we heard a bit, a fair amount. As the weeks went by, we, the volume of, hey, we got to get our kids back in school. I think there was a frustration that mounted uh, in our homes with our parents and our kids where, 
you know, th this isn't what uh, I was tapped to do as a parent. You know, I want to be the mom or the dad or the grandparent. Now I'm suddenly the mom or the dad or the grandparent and the biology teacher and the third grade reading teacher. And man, and, and I'm dealing as a parent or a grandparent with my own work situation. I'm trying to work from home. So if you imagine this perfect storm of I'm trying to work from home, I've got three kids who are at home trying to do their homework and trying to get me to help them. It, it is, uh, I think a lot of parents right now are saying, let's get these kids back in the schoolhouse. So we've heard a lot of that. We've heard a lot of gratitude come to us about the, you know, the learning packets that we sent home or the resources that we've made available. A lot of, a lot of grateful moms and dads and, and guardians about what we have been able to provide. So it's been mixed, Dave. I mean, and then there's been some unhappiness with the level of, of resource. If, if my kid is just a, you know, a solid student and breezes through some of the things that we provided and needs a little bit more, you know, we, we, uh, we've heard from those parents as well that, you know, th this is not challenging enough. Can you do anything additional for, for my student? So it's been across the continuum as far as feedback. At this point, we're having this conversation mid-May. Uh, from your perspective, are kids going back to school this fall? <laughs> well, I'm gonna give you a little kind of subtle shift here. We are going to have school on August 10th. That's on the calendar. We adopted that months ago. So our conversations are more about what is August 10th gonna look like is it going to be exactly what it looked like the last seven weeks, virtual, uh, hard copy packets, you know, drive up service for meals, or is it going to be all restrictions are lifted and we're back to business as usual, buses are running, cafeterias and classrooms are full of kids and teachers, or is it going to be a hybrid? Is it going to be a combination of the two of those? Um, we are planning and executing with the safety and welfare of our kids and our staff and our, our visitors, our guests in mind. And as you know, that changes not daily, that changes hourly. And so we will make decisions and have plans in place for a number of different scenarios. But we are targeting August 10th as first day of school, whether virtual or otherwise. Speaking with Sean McDaniel, he's the superintendent of the Oklahoma City Public Schools District. Um, Sean, anything you would say to parents, grandparents, uh, what contingencies might they start planning for for the upcoming school year? Sure. First of all, I would, I would just say thank you. I mean, we are, we are grateful. We, we talk about our, our work for the year is gratitude. Uh, for our parents and, and grandparents and other guardians who have taken this on, the understanding that you know, this wasn't some independent decision that OKCPS made. Hey, let's try this. This was something that was forced upon us. And so we're grateful that our families have taken it in stride and done the best that they can do at home. I think what they can begin thinking about and preparing for is one of three scenarios. One is business as usual back on buses, back to school, teaching and learning going on like we're used to it happening. All the way to the virtual where as we ended the year, 
we begin the year in August, virtually hard copy packets, lunch lines, drive through outside of the school and the school buildings closed. And then whatever in between scenarios we can, we can come up with as, as a viable plan. So I think it's, uh, think about what did you have to do as a parent or guardian to get your kids ready for this last seven weeks? Is it, you know, some sort of a childcare experience where you have family or friends who come in and help you in the home? How are you taking care of kids, I guess, would be the answer if we're not able to get back in buildings. How can you uh, tighten up the relationship in a virtual setting with your child's teacher? You know, we expected teachers to communicate with our kids weekly. And so if that's not happening or you need more how can we tighten up that relationship and get the assistance, uh, the guidance that your kids need? Um, so a lot of things to think about, but I would start with the scenarios. In school, business as usual, or 100% virtual, like we uh, had to do this last quarter of school. Two questions for you, and I'll get you out of here. But you mentioned buses. Uh, what's the discussion? What's the thought on what social distancing might look like on a school bus? Well, social distancing has become that, that major hurdle for us. Even if we could do a lot of other things well, we know that we have 10, 11, 12,000 kids who depend on a bus ride to school or they can't get to school. So if you think about a bus and 55 kids on a bus, there is no way to social distance. So if social distancing is still a restriction, we would have to get creative with, with how we did school. You know, we've, we've looked at plans all over the country. And so we're thinking about things like maybe an A-B schedule, where if I have an elementary that has 600 kids in the school, maybe on Monday and Tuesday, we have three, 300 of them who are actually at school, and we have 300 of them virtually learning from home. So we do that for a couple of days, and on Wednesday, Thursday, we flip it. And then on Friday, maybe we're all virtual. We're not suggesting that that is our final plan, but we're looking at plans like that so that we can do two things. One, get kids back to school if we are able. And number two, follow all the guidelines or restrictions that are still in place. So we're going to have to get really creative. Um, if you think about inside a schoolhouse, a PE class with 40 kids, in a locker room, uh, you know, 300 kids at a high school in a cafeteria together, there is no way to social distance. So we have to think about, do we eat lunch in our classrooms with half the student body at a time? Do we say we're really not gonna focus on electives like a PE or any number of electives? When we go to school, we're gonna focus on our core content. So a lot of conversation about what school will look like on August 10th. And these plans are coming within the next few days so that our community can take a look at how we're thinking about conducting school. A lot of real talk and some hard decisions there. Uh, let's end this on perhaps a more positive note. And the question to you, sir, is what are you optimistic about? Oh, gosh, that, that's another list as long as my arm. I am so optimistic about the way everybody has played their role during this crisis. This is, and, you know, I, I don't mean this uh, flippantly or to overplay this, but we know about the Oklahoma standard. 
And when we talk about crisis, you know, we have thought in our past and our history about things like uh, tornadoes, uh, significant crises like, like the Murrah Federal Building uh, tragedy. And we have seen over and over and over Oklahomans step up and say, I'm going to stand in a gap. I'm going to fill a gap. And in this case, it is specifically for kids. So I am so optimistic about how our folks, whether it's a parent or a teacher or a child nutrition worker or a board member or a community member, have stepped up and said, point me to a gap and let me stand in it for our kids. Um, I've never seen anything like what we bring as Oklahomans, and so I'm very optimistic about that. Uh, I'm optimistic about the future of our kids. You know, we've got 1,700 seniors who are getting ready to graduate beginning tonight and through Friday and Saturday, albeit not like we expected them to graduate, but they have very bright futures ahead of them. They have invested in our school system. We have invested in them. And I am optimistic about the mark on our world that they're going to make and then classes that will follow. So there is so much to be optimistic about when we talk about Oklahoma City Public Schools. So it, 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 it comes down to the people and the standard we have established that we're going to do whatever it takes to make things work. And that's what we've seen through this crisis. And that is something to be optimistic about. All right, that'll wrap it up for this. I always enjoy our conversation, sir, uh, and I certainly appreciate your time. I'll get out of your way and let you get to that next Zoom meeting, probably. Uh, yeah, thank you, David. I appreciate you. See you soon. All right, stay safe. Thank you. So you can watch that interview if you like. The video version is on our website, oklahoma.com. Our Naria Martinez-Kill covers education. She will have more throughout the summer on how schools are preparing and adapting. That will do it for this podcast. You can subscribe to our digital products by going to oklahoma.com slash subscribe. We have more podcasts and email newsletters as well. For my colleagues at The Oklahoman, I'm Dave Morris. Have a great night, everyone. <laughs>